G'day everyone, welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you for joining me again. Today's guest is the CEO and founder of Study, Work, Grow. I'd like to welcome to the podcast Lucy Sattler. Again, thank you for joining us. I know you'll enjoy this podcast and in particular the journey Lucy shares with us about being both a founder and a CEO. So enough from me. Thanks uh, for joining us, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. How did you get on a pathway to being a CEO and founder? So it was quite a long pathway for me. I've always been a bit of a leader. I like to do things my own way. So my mum would tell me when I was young that I drove her mad because I would never follow a pattern or follow the instructions. I always wanted to do things my own way. And that's stayed with me my whole life is I like to go go on my own path. So I certainly didn't set out to become an entrepreneur or a founder. It's something that seems to have fallen into my lap. And uh, like a lot of things, you know, you take that um, opportunity when it arises and I ran with it. Even up until a few years ago, I was still a very reluctant founder. So I thought that it was a temporary thing and that I would go back to a proper job, what I saw as a proper job. And it wasn't until about four or five years ago that I decided, no, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to put aside the other things that I'm doing and, um, and try and make a go of it. And yeah, it's done really well. So the more I do this job and the more that I work on this, my business and my project, the more in love with it I fall. So um, it gets easier every day. Let me ask a couple of questions if I can unpack that just a little bit. You're not the first to tell me that you're a reluctant either leader or reluctant founder, entrepreneur. So explain to me a little bit, if you could, about the reluctance and what strategy did you use to overcome it? And what I mean by that is, and um, I would I would say if I was doing this, that I would reach out to a mentor or someone who's done it before to give me some tips and tricks. So what recipe did you use? Can you share that with us? Yeah. So I would never say that I'm a reluctant leader. I actually really love being a leader and supporting a team. I am a reluctant entrepreneur in that I thought I was going to go off. I thought I was going to go to university. I thought I was going to become really, really exceptional at my job and become a leader in that sense. So I was going to become a thought leader or some sort of, you know, um, working for someone else still, but I was going to do big things that way. I think, and I think that that's where a lot of the reluctance comes from is because I had this image in my head that I was going to be this very, you know, successful person employed by someone else without that fear of of having to be responsible for my own um, income. And I I didn't expect that I was going to ever, you know, run my own business. So being a CEO wasn't in my um, vision of how I saw success. I didn't see myself as ever becoming a CEO and that wasn't what I saw for my future. So that's why I was reluctant. I was like, no, no, I'm supposed to be going off that other pathway and now I'm, I'm becoming a CEO instead. To get over it, I, I don't think I am over it. I think that there are still some things that entrepreneurs do that I don't want to do. Like I don't, I'm not seeking investment. That's come up quite a few times with, with people, but it's certainly something that I don't feel comfortable with, for example, you know, as, an, as an example. But uh, I am enjoying things like mentoring. So knowing where my gaps are and knowing where, you know, where I, what I need help with and then finding a mentor who can help me kind of fill those gaps. And I'm sure you've heard of Donald, Donald Rumsfeld's known knowns and unknown knowns. I'm getting a nod here. So <laughs> basically his concept is that there are, there are things that we know, there are things that we don't know that we don't know. I like to think that throughout this journey, there's been a lot of things that a lot of times when I've realized there are things that I don't know, I don't know. And that's where the mentors have come in and helping me go, oh, this is what you're missing. And 
the more that I do that and the more that I have those conversations, the more comfortable I become with being an entrepreneur and um, with this new role. One thing that I've been sort of mulling over in my head over the course of the discussions that I've had, and it's been put to me in many different ways, and I think you've touched on it without giving it a label, that being having an ability, sorry, to be self-reflective about where you're at as a leader or an entrepreneur is, for me, one of those core leader capabilities that you just need to have uh, to be effective in whatever you're doing. So I think there are many leaders around the place, but I think the ones that are the most reflective, self-reflective and seek feedback are the ones that will be ultimately more successful longer term. I don't have research evidence to prove that, but I'm, I'm sure those that are listening, someone can point out where that where that data exists. So I get a strong feeling from the conversation so far that you you probably have, well, I hope you have, a, 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 for the sake of the podcast, at least a definition of leadership. So how would you define it given your travels and your pathway to being a CEO and a founder? I see myself very much as a servant leader and not in that sort of self-sacrificing way that I think some people use it. I see it as um, a leader is one role in a team and that person's role is to ensure that the team is on track, they are getting the support and the things they need to do the job that they've been tasked with, and they're pulling everyone together. So more of a conductor for an orchestra rather than, you know, the uh, figurehead out the front of the army who's going to lead us all into victory. So that's how I see leadership. And I, and I know in my own personal experience, the, the best leaders that I have had have been those who are real enablers. They took that approach that they have this team of people and they have these projects that they're working on and they they were very intuitive about getting the best like out of their people. So whether that was um, teaming up certain people with each other or whether that was just allowing some people to do things one way and others another. But it's it's for me, leadership is much more about managing that team and bringing the best out of your team rather than being the one in control or <laughs> the one who is um, calling the shots. The definition it is consistent with what I'm hearing. I mean, there's always variations on a theme and I've very much moved away from one flat definition of leadership because I'm sure if I went to the books, I could find a hundred other people that would say, nah, servant leadership isn't it. And here are the reasons for it. And that makes for a good academic argument, but it's not, it's not real in the sense that as you're working day to day, what works for you will work for you. And and uh, a one-size-fits-all approach won't necessarily be the best way to deal with that. So let, let me ask you this, if I can. Um, you did bring up the idea of having mentors as part of your process, the, your leadership process, uh, founder process. What triggered you to, to seek out mentors one and would you say the relationship there was a, a formal one or informal now why I ask that is the majority of the people I'm speaking to on the podcast it, it's been a informal process that they've gone into but some have gone into formal mentorship arrangements where there are set exact set times and, and very formalized so how did you go about it so I have a range of mentors um, some are formal some are informal how, how a lot of this started was I had a moment where I went I know I want to grow um, I want to grow my business. I want to get bigger and I want to do more things, but I wasn't sure how to go about that. And I know there are lots of books on entrepreneurship, but they don't necessarily speak to me. Um, and I was struggling to find a real practical, I kind of wanted a template. I wanted somebody to give me an instruction manual and say, follow these steps and then you'll have a bigger business. And there isn't something like that out there. There's no one size fits all approach. 
So um, I actually saw an advert for a scholarship for a mentor program and I, I thought, all right, whatever, I'll give it a go. And I, I got it. So my first real entrepreneurship mentor was actually a formal arrangement and I had that arrangement for about 12 months, but we're still ongoing. We still, I still talk to my mentor about once a month. And so that was the sort of the start. Um, and then I also went through a process of collecting, um, I hate to use that word, but it is, that's kind of what you do. You do collect mentors, you collect people who you connect with and who you feel you can have a, a constructive relationship with and not just people who are going to tell you what you want to hear, but people who are going to maybe pull you up. And so I've gone through that process of kind of collecting those people around me. And, and so now I have sort of one overall business mentor, and then I have um, some other people who can help me with different areas of things. And I'm also really lucky that I have friends who are um, also entrepreneurs and also in this space. And um, sometimes it's not so much having a formal mentorship, but just being able to go, I've got a problem. Can we have a, a you know, can we have a catch up and talk about this for an hour um, with someone who's also going through the same things? And sometimes that can be more powerful than pulling in someone who's outside of the ecosystem or someone who's not going through the same things that you're going through. So I still don't think there's a step-by-step guide you can follow to become an entrepreneur or to, to grow your business. But I think that if I hadn't have had that first mentor, everything else maybe wouldn't have fallen into place as well as it has. Yeah, that, that's interesting that um, the mentorship can look like also your peer network. So if you've got other entrepreneurs in the same space that are facing the same challenges, it's interesting that you'll be potentially a different part in your business cycle and whether you're growing or at a phase of uh, not, I wouldn't call it stagnation, but you're steady and you're not going backwards, but you're not growing either. And I, I could see where the, the lumps and bumps, you'd want to talk to people who are experiencing that because it may be of, of lesser value to you to get a really good mentor from another industry that absolutely doesn't understand where your headspace is at. Uh, but that having been said, people that can give you advice that have no skin in the game can come in quite objective. And when they when you seek that advice, you have to be prepared to take a few um a few a few knocks to the head about what it is that you're choosing to do and maybe it's not the right way to go i mean nobody wants to hear negatives but i think it's the only way some of us learn i i, I can put my hand up for that definitely uh did you did you find much of that when you were when you were interacting with your mentor yeah definitely and i feel like uh, part of leadership is that you have to be reflective and you spoke about that before, but you have to be reflective about what everyone else is, is giving you and not take everything at face value because as a leader, people want to tell you their opinion all the time about what you're doing, about what your team's doing, about what they're doing and being able to apply a filter and critically reflect on everything that's coming your way, whether it is from a mentor or somebody in the industry or a customer even, whether it's customer feedback. If you're not applying that filter, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be very difficult to manage that. And you're also, there's that risk there that you're going to get led one way or another. And there are a lot of players in the entrepreneurship ecosystem who are quite happy to lead young entrepreneurs and young CEOs um, one way or another. Maybe they do have other interests or they are an investor and they, they, you know, they want to see maximum growth out of you or whatever it is. And if you haven't got your own vision in your head and if you if you don't know where you want to go and if you can't apply your own reflective practice to that um, there is that risk that yeah you're going to hear some things that are hard and that you're not going to have the ability to evaluate whether that's actually useful feedback or if that's just somebody having a bad day and feeling like they want to take it out on you 
I hadn't thought of that, to be honest. Uh, using your um, BS radar, I think, is what you mean. Like, what, what's what's going to be true for you and what's not going to be true for you? And um, that is one of those key factors that that uh, separates out the, the good leaders from the really good leaders is to be able to filter out people's perspectives. And look, I guess you've got to take everything with a grain of salt because if you're seeking, actively seeking feedback, the person giving you that feedback isn't coming from a neutral space. They've got their own idiosyncrasies. They've got their own way of looking at the world and um, maybe it'll gel with you, maybe it won't. And not all advice is good advice. So yeah, I completely understand. Look, Lucy, you, you've been in the world of work for a, a while so can i ask you now that you're in a space where you're a founder and ceo how do you measure success so we did touch on that a little bit earlier um i think when we're quite young we form opinions about what success looks like for us and and that's something that yeah is formed quite young now as an adult i'm becoming more uh, open with how i what i classify as success or not i had a really great conversation yesterday with uh, a researcher who's working on um uh, she's investigating uh, basically making the workplace better for working families how do we how do we make the workplace better for working families and we talked a lot about you know, something being successful doesn't necessarily mean that um, the work is everything and that the job's gotten done really, really well at the expense of the rest of your life. Um, So I don't view success anymore as I want to earn X amount of money or I want to um, sell my company for $10 million or whatever it is that you would put a dollar figure on. It's more about have I achieved something that's had an impact? Um, Have I enjoyed doing that along the way have i brought people with me and built a community those kind of uh less easy to measure but still very worthwhile things so when i'm talking about when i'm thinking about what success looks like for me in the future and as a ceo and as a founder what does business success look like for me it's have i uh, you know, obviously kept things afloat and made some money, but also have I provided a really great service to my customers? Is my service one that my customers really value and see as useful and would be happy to promote to other people? Have I served my entire audience? So my customers are schools and, and careers advisors, but my audience are, are students and parents as well. So have I been of use to, th- to them and has our business been of use to them? And then it's also my staff. Have I brought my staff along? Um, which is where you're going back into your leadership now. Have I have I made their lives better and given them work that's fulfilled their purpose and allowed them to achieve the other things they want to achieve? And have I built a community around my business? So, uh, you know, when I'm looking back on it in, in 10, 20 years time, hopefully, I'm going to be able to look back and go, yeah, I've done something that was exciting and I've brought a whole community of people along on that journey with me. So I, I guess... Yeah, it's not a not a dollar figure but, and not, not very easy to measure, but that's certainly what I'm looking for. Okay, Lucy, so here, here's one that um, I think we could tease out a little bit is leader capability. So I, I get the sense that you've got a few that are very core for you. So of, of the one of the ones that you use regularly in your roles, do you do you have a set of those those capabilities, sorry, that you think are essential to your success? As as in my capabilities that I use as a leader, they're yes. essential for my I think there are a set of things that I use that suit me. And I don't know that they would suit everyone, but they suit certainly suit me and my style. So I think that the first thing that I I 
really fall back on as far as capabilities go in terms of leadership is being receptive to what my team is dealing with and receptive to what is going on, which comes from that real coaching mindset. And I do take a very strong coaching approach to leadership. So understanding the strengths and the weaknesses of my team, for example, do they need more support with some tasks? Do they um, need to go and deal with something that's going on at home? If I'm receptive to what's going on in their lives and I'm, I'm receptive to how, you know, even things like their goals, what is it that they want to achieve with their work? The more receptive I am, the better I can um, respond to their needs, which means that they become more engaged and they become more productive. So we have a huge problem in Australia with engagement at work. 86% of Australians don't feel engaged with the work they do every day, which is ridiculous and such an incredible waste of productive people because Australians are happy. They are motivated. They want good things for themselves and for their communities. And yet 86% of us aren't engaged at work. So everything that I can do to uh, boost my employees' engagement and to um, get them engaged with the work that they're doing and feeling positive about it and, and wanting to in- do a good job is, yes, it's going to have productivity benefits and it's going to mean that we get more done at work, but it's it's bigger picture stuff again. So I guess that's my first capability is that being receptive. The next thing that I, I really like to draw on is, and it feels, it, it, it sits in with micromanaging. So I stop setting guidelines for tasks that are strict and limited to how I would do it. And I start letting people do things or achieve outcomes in a way that suits them. So and I started that about two years ago, and it's amazing how much more work we got done, how much better I felt about everything. I took a different lens to how I evaluated how other people had done work in the business. And so what that really looks like is saying, I don't care how long it takes you to do that task, as long as you, you know, you're not taking a ridiculous amount of time or you're not not taking the mickey. I'm not going to look at if you've chosen a different color, for example, than I would have chosen. That's okay. That's 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 um, not essential for business, and it's not essential that I control it to that level. And it's also things like letting people write. A lot of people write articles for us. Letting them write the articles and they want the way they want to write them, and that's okay. Um, my the way I would write doesn't have to be um, duplicated by every single member of staff. So I guess that's my second capability is really um, not micromanaging and letting people run things in the way they want to run them. They're sort of the things that I rely on every day to get work done. They would be the two core ones. Lucy, let me ask you this, and this is one. This is a question I ask in all my po- all the podcasts to date. It's the nature versus nurture question. So are leaders born or are they made? I would say it's a bit of both. This is a really tricky one because it does come up a lot in career education. You know, you're looking at a student's capabilities. Are they born with those capabilities or have they um, had those capabilities developed and what combination, you know, what impact has that had? I think that I was lucky in that um, I was born when, you know, my mother is a very strong person. My dad is a very strong person and they're both quite intelligent. So I think I have some of those things that came from genetics that I've been lucky to to have and, and really privileged to have. And I understand that that's a privilege that I, you know, that came through my genes. Nurture wise, I think that uh, I was given opportunity throughout school to be a leader and to practice my leadership. I, and a lot of those opportunities I sought out myself. I was also fortunate, very fortunate to be um, in a position where I had access to those. And I know a lot of people aren't. So 
in some respects, yes, that nurture definitely played a role. I went, when I was 17, I left home and I went to ADVA. I joined the Air Force. And in that environment, any kind of leadership, you know, maybe hidden latent leadership talent that you might have is going to get brought out pretty quickly. It's a bit of a pressure cooker and leadership is such a strong focus there. And, and you are given the skills, or I felt anyway, that I was given the skills to really hone what I had already developed and and maybe what I was given genetically and to really develop my own leadership style and given opportunities to practice that. So by the time you finish something like ADVA, uh, and by the time you've been in the military a few years, because I, I stayed on for a few years after that, um, you do have quite developed, well-developed leadership skills, or uh, I felt that I did anyway. And then it's a case of taking what I've learned then in, in a very military setting and then working out how I can use that in a setting that is very not military. So I now work in career education and teachers are a a heck of a long way away from the military. I work in business and there's not a lot of business in the military. So it is a very different environment, but a lot of those skills that I learned, I've been able to apply to new settings. That transferability is important. Again, like we were talking about before we we ran the podcast, that I've had the privilege of being able to speak to, to serving and and serving members of the Australian military and those that have left and and started their own careers and businesses. And it's funny, but you lot as a group tend to do consultancies and work on your own quite a lot when you leave the military. And I, I can understand why, given that you summed it up quite nicely, saying it's a pressure. You know, the Australian military, there's a pressure cooker type mentality and that will bring out that latent leadership in you if it's there it's going to come out and it's going to need to come out for you to be able to 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 be able to probably survive is not the right word but to deal with the the things that you need to deal with in a in a military context so yeah thank you for sharing that look just to conclude lucy i just wanted to get your views on this because you work in that career development space from a leader perspective what do you see as key opportunity looking forward and a key challenge going forward if you can give me maybe one of each sorry so you mean within the career development space specifically yeah so a leadership opportunity within the career development space it is or it seems to me to be a space that's very much still underdeveloped we rely on theories that are 50 plus years old the research that's being done is mostly being done in the US and Europe. So it's not necessarily looking at a diverse cohort. So we need more research. We need more theory. We need theory. And and I don't think there's a possible way that the theory could keep up with the changes that have been happening in the world of work over the last sort of five, 10 years, particularly COVID has just really taken it, you know, any change that was already ongoing and going quite fast and then sped it up a hundred times. So we're in this really landscape where there is a lot of there's a lot of development that needs to take place. And I think there is room for leaders to come in and to maybe take a, a, a section, a niche in that and to really develop it and to really do the research, do the work, write the programs, do the iterative design so that we do have more to go from when we're looking at what we should be doing from a best practice point of view. There are some fantastic 
leaders and you know careers advisors in schools are career leaders they are the person in that school who is who is the leader for career development and and they are we have some absolutely fantastic leaders in this space they're phenomenal the work that they're doing and they're doing it um, with very limited budgets generally and they are responsible for a huge array of things they can be responsible for a thousand students in their school and and there's a lot of pressure on that because you know they're expected to support each of those students individually there are really strong leaders, which is why I'm so excited about where the space is going to go, because there are so many people with those leadership capabilities and experience in the space, um, and there's so much space for them to grow into. So there's the opportunities. I think the problems maybe I see for leadership are that, you know, without the research and without the theory, and there is some, but that, you know, we could do with more, um, it's very difficult to develop policy. And there is some great policy out there, but it seems like there's maybe a little bit of a struggle to then work out how best to implement that. So, you know, seeing some leaders come through and we are seeing some people coming through and some organisations coming through and really stepping up. The National Career Institute has been doing a really great job in Australia over the last few years. I know that they're, they're doing even more exciting things in the National Skills Commission as well. They're revamping a lot of the older um, services that were out there, online services. So there is some work being done and, and that's really exciting to be in this time when we're seeing that, that happening and that taking place. Well, there you go. You, you seem to be very, um, very in tune with what's happening in your sector. And, you know, hopefully we'll see your name at some point writing some theories or getting out there and doing the the stuff that you think needs done. And yet yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting uh, perspective, I think, in the leadership space. The interconnect that I see that is of interest to me is the leader development space and the career development space and how those two things link together. Um, it's, it, I think it's a specialised subset of what you're talking about, but I think those things are linked. And it's it's interesting that you're out as a practitioner out in the field and my estimation and I'm only coming at this from an observer point of view is if you've got all these people doing all this good work, it's how do you catalogue that work to start unpacking what it, what are the what are the issues that are coming out from a practitioner perspective and working backwards to looking at what are the what are the things that are going to underpin practice because I, I don't know if it's like the teaching profession, but there's a lot of research in teaching and there's also a lot of practical experience required in the teaching field, and I'm sure that people in the leader develop sorry not the leadership development space, in the career development space are looking to the teaching profession because you've got models there that surely could be cannibalised. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting insight, mate. I, I, I had no, I claim no expertise in your field, but I, I think it's an interesting space and it will get hotly contested as time goes on because as you develop theories, people will then pick those theories apart then you get a better theory. And I think it's, a, it's an iterative thing and definitely there'll be people that want to play in that space. So Lucy, thank you again for your time. But before we go, can I get you to maybe give a bit of an overview as to what you do in Study, Work, Grow for the sake of the listeners? And I'll put all of the, the links to what you're doing in, in the podcast description. So over to you, mate. Yeah, so look, Study, Work, Grow, um, I'm really excited about what we're doing. We provide career education resources for about 450 Australian schools. We reach around 200,000 students and parents each week. So what that actually looks like is we create these resources and we give them to careers advisors and heads of learning and heads of senior school. And then they use them with their students and they send them to parents and they put them in emails and they show our videos on assembly. And they basically, because we're providing them with those resources that help their students join the dots, that's just one less thing that they have to worry about. 
That's why we do the research. So we have really great relationships with universities and a lot of um, employers and industry bodies so that we can make sure that we've got all the information that a student would need in the one place. And they're not having to go running around searching for it in 20 different places. So it's, it's essentially we, we act as a, a source of truth. And um, because we're, we're quick and nimble and we're, we're um, quite an agile organisation, we can come up with resources quite quickly to, to support schools' needs. I'm actually really excited that we're working on something that we're, it's called a, a Built a Career Development Framework, which is essentially a program to uh, help students learn career development from year 7 to 12. And um, then we've created the Ponder program, which is also really exciting. And that's the suite of resources that go with the career development framework. And we've just released at the start of this year and we're getting some really great feedback. And I'm finding that it's being really helpful in, in just providing that structure that schools maybe would have to come up with themselves or um, it's just providing everything in the one place for them to then go and teach career development concepts easily to their students. So, yeah, it's really exciting and, and really looking forward to where we're going to go with this. Appreciate it, Lucy. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you again for joining us on this podcast and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership.